This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, man, like I said today, it's good to be back in Barstow. I wanted to just reiterate how much I appreciate Pastor Bernie and Mrs. Pastor. That's a great way to be called, isn't it? Mrs. Pastor. And uh, just how much I appreciate the great work they've done here, your faithfulness over the years. And, and then to see this great team that surrounds you and, and uh, just how, how it takes a lot of people to get the job done, doesn't it? But it takes a good leader at the helm. And thank you, Pastor Bernie, for being that. Um, I, Mrs. Pastor mentioned that she liked to hear about different things that are going on uh, this morning. We showed you some of our books going into different translations. And tonight I just wanted to show you a couple pictures of some of the places that Lisa and I have been privileged to preach and minister in over the years. And um, the first picture is those are all Russian believers. Those are all uh, believers in Moscow. Uh, that's Rick Renner's church there in the heart of Moscow. And um, I, I've had the privilege of preaching there on five different trips. And uh, we're going back again this October. And I've also preached with Rick in St. Petersburg, Russia, in Kiev, Ukraine, and uh, Riga, Latvia. So, uh, you know, God's doing good things all over the world. You know that? And uh, it's, it's great to know that God's doing good things there. But you know what? God's doing good things right here. He's, he's not doing anything there that he's not doing here. He's changing lives and, and uh, lifting people up into new lives. And so uh, that's, that's Moscow, Russia. The next picture is in, uh, that's in Medan, Indonesia. I think that's the fourth largest city in Indonesia. And that's a, uh, they're the most populous Muslim nation in the world. Uh, but Christianity is legal there. It's one of four legal religions. And uh, so I got to preach in four services like that on that particular Sunday. And uh, I, I don't know what it's like normally, but we saw about 150 people come to Jesus uh, that day and make decisions for Jesus uh, that, that particular Sunday. And we we're thrilled with that. The next picture is in... Brazil, that is in Sao Paulo, Brazil. That's at a pastor's conference down there. Uh, all those folks you see are pastors or assistant pastors or youth ministers. You know, they're all uh, church leaders. And uh, Pastor Bernie, I know we've got like around a 100 or more campuses, Rama campuses down there. They've really got, you know, kind of revival exploding all over the country in Brazil. Uh, the next picture is uh, Africa. That's Zambia. That's Lusaka, the capital of Zambia. And uh, that is uh, Miracle Life Church. And uh, Lisa and I have been there three times. We enjoy uh, Lusaka, beautiful place, wonderful people. And then after that is, uh, that's last October. Those are church leaders. That's the group in Shanghai, Shanghai, China. Now, that's that. those are the church leaders uh, that I was privileged to spend 10 hours. You can see a little bit in the background. There's our Timothy uh, logo in the back. We did 10 hours of In Search of Timothy uh, from Thursday night through Saturday morning. And uh, on Friday night, they did a banquet for all their leaders that, that, that are there. And the pastor and his wife invited the local police chief and his wife to come. And Shanghai is a city of 26 million, so I'm sure it was just one section of, but their police chief. And uh, during dinner, uh, the, the pastor and his wife were able to share the gospel with the police chief and his wife. And the police chief's wife at dinner prayed and accepted Jesus as her savior. And, um, I said, I said to the pastor, I said, well, are you, are you in trouble now? And he said, no, no, not at all. He said the police chief was very encouraging and, very happy for his wife to accept the Lord. So, And then when I preached Sunday morning uh, to the entire congregation, the pastor told me on Saturday that um, they would be having uh, the, depart- the head of religious affairs for the Chinese government attending their, their church service. And I said, well, am I in trouble? And he said, no, no. He said, you just preach the gospel, you know, do whatever. And so we preached Jesus and eight people accepted the Lord that morning. And um, and there's no problems at all. So they've got, you know, I'm not saying there's not some persecution in some parts, but at least in Shanghai, they 
you know, they have good liberty and they had Bibles for sale in the lobby. Anybody could get a Bible, you know, very inexpensively. Um, so it's a great experience in Shanghai. And so things are happening, good things happening there. This is last July in, um, that is Arequipa, Peru. And I took my daughter on that. That's where we got to eat the guinea pig, you know. And um, won't go into detail about that. Won't show you any pictures. But that was a delicacy to them. So anyway, but uh, that's the church. And my daughter went with me on that trip. And uh, we had a great time ministering in in Peru. And then let me see what else we have here. Other pictures. Now, this is several years ago, but I wanted to share this with you because it's real dear to my heart. Uh, this picture was taken in Istanbul, Turkey. And those believers are not Turks. Those are Iranians. They are refugees who were able to get out of uh, Iran. As a matter of fact, if you look the second row uh, from the back, from the right, you see the, the lady uh, at the second row from the top uh, and then the guy standing next to her. He's holding some books with his hands kind of like that. He was a lieutenant in the Iranian Air Force, and uh, most of them are real young people, but he's kind of middle-aged. And um, when they found out he was a Christian, they put him in a big burlap-type duffel bag and, you know, closed it and put him in the middle of a room, and they just beat and kicked the daylights out of him. And, uh, uh, you know, he's pretty messed up from that, but he was able to get out. And um, and, and all these people got out differently, but they, they ended up getting together, and they when I was there, they were part of a Bible school, and we were able to take them a whole bunch of books, um, you know, for their studies and things of that nature. But um, so anyway, that was uh, real moving to be with them and minister to missionaries from around the Middle East and that type of thing. I wanted to show you real quickly a picture of our books. Um, uh, I, it's a separate folder. So uh, those are the books that uh, we have available to you back at our book table. Uh, if you happen to get your books now by ebook, which is what I do with most of my books, you can get them on Kindle or Nook or iBook or whatever. The book in the lower right-hand corner, Lift, uh, is not published yet. Uh, that is a book that is at the publishers. It's going through the editing process. It'll probably be out in June. And uh, that's what I preached from this morning. Uh, the book is called Lift, Experiencing the Elevated Life. Because we're focusing on what does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with us today? And is there an element of resurrection life for us to live in today? So if you want to order that book ahead of time, you can go back and sign up. They have a sheet back there. You can just sign up legibly. Everybody say legibly. So we send it to you at your real address and things like that. But you can pre-order that and we won't charge you anything for the shipping. We'll ship it to you for free. Uh, just pay the regular price of all the other books. And um, so, uh, but I want to pick up on that tonight. So uh, we, one of the scriptures we looked at this morning was Romans 6, 4, where Paul said this, we were buried with him through baptism. Uh, when you got baptized and they took you under the water, that symbolized the fact that you died and were buried with Christ. And it says that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There's a new life for the Christian to walk in. Uh, we're not to walk in the old way. We're not to walk in the old mindset. We're not to walk in the old mentality or the old identification. Uh, we are, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so, uh, when we were baptized, when we went under the water, we were proclaiming publicly, I was buried with Christ. When we're brought up out of the water, that's a public demonstration of saying, and I also was raised with Christ. But once we're raised with Christ, then we're supposed to walk with him in what? In newness of life. So there's a resurrection lift. There's a resurrection life for the Christian to live in, in the here and the now. We look back with thanksgiving uh, to the resurrection of Jesus. That's why what Christians celebrate on Easter is we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And every time that, you know, we conduct a funeral, 
you know, the minister normally stands at the graveside and, you know, says something like what we read earlier today, uh, this mortal shall put on immortality and this corruptible shall put on incorruption. Um, you know, there's coming a day when the bodies are coming out of the grave. Uh, that is the message of the New Testament that we have been raised spiritually with Christ already and ultimately, we will be raised physically uh, and get new glorified bodies when Jesus returns. And, and that is, you know, so much the heart of the New Testament is new life. You know, new life from the resurrection, new life in the resurrection, past, present, and future. There's some resurrection life at work inside the believer. And we talked about this morning, we used the illustration of an airplane. An airplane always has two elements working against it. Number one is gravity, trying to pull it down. The other is what's called drag, trying to hold it back. And so in order for an airplane to fly, it has to have two greater laws at work, the law of thrust which pushes it forward. That's what gets it going down the runway. But in addition to the law of thrust, it has to have the law of lift. So the law of thrust overcomes the law of drag, and the law of lift overcomes the law of gravity. And when thrust and lift are greater than drag and gravity, guess what? You fly. There, there is the law of sin and death in the world. And there's always, we need to understand this, there's always drag on the Christian's life. There's always gravity pulling down on the Christian life. And you can call that a whole bunch of, you can call it the law of sin. You can just call it the junk of the world. You know, you can call it the negativity of other people. You know, there's all kinds of things. You know, the pressures, the problems, all of that stuff wants to hold you back and drag you down. And But the grace of God wants to propel us forward. The resurrection wants to pull us upward. And Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, uh, let's just look at that passage again, Philippians 3, 10. Let me get there myself. Um, actually, Philippians 3, 12, rather. Philippians 3, 12, and we're going to look at this in the New King James. He says, not that I have already attained... Or am already perfected. Well, most of us don't need a lot of convincing of that. Most of us know that we've got room to grow, right? Most of us know we're not perfect yet. But, but we can say, you know, thank God I'm, I'm not what I used to be, but I'm still not everything I'm going to be. Um, we have had some progress. We have had some Forward momentum, upward momentum. But Paul said, I'm not perfect yet. I've not already attained. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting. Everybody say forgetting. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching where? Reaching forward. See, the Christian life is to be moving forward. We're not supposed to be falling backwards. We're moving forward. That's thrust toward those things which are ahead. And then he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. So the Christian is to be moving forward and upward. That's thrust and lift. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to understand this. In life, there's always something working against you. And there's always something working for you. The key to a successful life is how to get rid of the stuff that's working against you and how to really lay hold of what's working for you. To put it real simple, the devil's against you, God's for you. That's why the Bible says, James said, uh, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And the Bible is just full of so many examples. For example, I'll just go through these pretty quickly. 
Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said, in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. So in the world, there's stuff, there's junk, there's negativity, there's problems, gossip, you know, all kinds of junk in the world. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So what are you going to focus on? Are you going to focus on the tribulation? Because if you focus on the tribulation in the world, it'll start to pull you down. But if you focus on the fact that Jesus has overcome the world, that'll pull you up. There's an upward, there's a lift, there's forward and upward in Jesus. Um, John uh, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, we know that everybody sinned. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. So what you can do is you can sit around and think about all the mistakes you've made, all the flaws, all the faults, all the bad decisions and things like that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Why don't we, why don't we focus on the, the lift and the thrust instead of the, the drag and the gravity? Um, uh, Romans 13, 13 and 14, Paul says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So again, there's all that negativity, all that junk, sin in the world. But, Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we can always go on God's side. We can always make the choice. Uh, you know, the world always has its negative pull on us. God always has his negative lift toward us. And we can... Go, go with God. Go on God's side. Uh, Galatians 6, 8 says, He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But, do you notice in all these Bible verses, you, you, you have the negative statement, and then you have the word but. And so, he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But, he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. I love these verses. Now, Paul is one of those guys, and we talked about him, how he had to forget the past. He said, I'm forgetting those things which are behind, and I'm reaching forward to those things which are... He said, not only did he say, I'm reaching forward, but he said, I'm, I'm pushing toward the upward call of God. One of the things that Paul said was this. He said, I am the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. How many of you know Paul had some history? Wasn't good history. Anybody here have some history? All right. Now, history never changes. The historical fact is the historical fact. The history is there, but here's the good news. There's something greater than history, and that is eternity. And eternity doesn't focus on history. Eternity focuses on redemption. So even though Paul did have some historical stuff that was there, redemption, what Jesus did for him, and what the Holy Spirit did in him was greater than history. Now, Paul often, especially when he was telling his testimony, he, he would talk about the, the bad stuff he did. And he wasn't trying to glorify the sin. But he was wanting people to understand just how good God had been to him. He wanted people to understand just how merciful God had been to him. Let me read to you some of the statements uh, from a few different translations of the Bible. In every sense of the term, before Paul got born again, he went by the name of Saul. In every sense of the term, he was what we would call today a terrorist. He had been a terrorist. 
In Acts 8.3, in the message version, it says, And Saul just went wild, devastating the church, entering house after house, dragging men and women off to jail. In Acts 22.4, in the New Living Translation, Paul says, I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some of them to death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them in prison. In Acts 26.10, in the New International Version, it says, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. In 1 Timothy 3.13 in the New Living, he says, I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Now, where are you the sister that gave your testimony up here just a few minutes ago? And you talked about some of the things, you know, where you, you had felt you had hurt people in the past and things like that. And I don't know the details. I'm not asking for the details. But I want you to know you have good company. All right. In the guy who wrote about half of the books of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. And not only did he have a past, Moses had a past. Moses had murdered people, murdered one guy. David had murdered a guy trying to cover up his adultery. I mean, listen, the people of the Bible, see, if I was going to create a religion, Pastor Bernie, I would create a religion where everybody was just lily white, perfectly pure. Nobody, they were all so perfect and all that because I'd want to make that religion look good. So I'd want all of the people in that religion, the leaders, I'd like them all to just be wonderful people. The Bible doesn't do that at all. The Bible tells us how you know, not to embarrass them, not to, you know, humiliate them. But they were all sinners. They all had committed horrible sin. And, you know, I think the reason we love Peter so much in the New Testament is he was always the guy who was making mistakes. You know, he was impulsive. He, he pulled out his sword and cut off a guy's ear. You know, Peter had some stuff in his background that wasn't very good. But but what we have here is not really, we're not glorifying the sin of man. We're saying man's sin can be pretty ugly, but God's grace is even greater. God's mercy is even greater. Uh, the power of the resurrection is able to destroy sin and death in the life and in the lifestyle of the Christian. Paul went through, you know, horrible stuff. And, you know, he made that statement. He said, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. See, Paul remembered. He, he, here's kind of the paradox of it. Paul said, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. In one sense, you could say, well, it doesn't sound like you're doing a very good job of forgetting. You keep bringing it up. You know, uh, here's something I believe very strongly. Forgetting is not amnesia. When Paul said, I'm forgetting those things which are behind, what he meant was, I can still intellectually remember the, the historical information, but I'm no longer under the dominion and the control and the oppression of my past. It's no longer defining who I am. It's no longer limiting what I can do. See, here's what Paul said. He said... Um, let me get that statement. I am the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. There's the historical. But then he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. See, he, he, he intellectually knew the past, but redemptively, he knew that he was a new person in Christ. 
and that all of his old stuff had no bearing on his new identity or his new destiny. Forgetting the past is not amnesia. It doesn't mean you can't remember intellectually. It means you're no longer controlled by it. You're no longer governed by it. It's no longer limiting you. It's no longer holding you back. Um, you know, it, it's so important that we understand these things. Gary Chapman made this statement. He said, I am amazed by how many individuals mess up every new day with yesterday. They insist on bringing into the, into the present the failures of yesterday and in doing so pollute a potentially wonderful day. The Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. So we can intellectually remember bad things we did. We can intellectually remember bad things that were done to us. But here's what. We believe there's something greater than what we did or what was done to us. And that's what was done for us and what is being done in us by the Holy Spirit. God is doing a work in my life that is greater than anything I ever did or anything that anybody ever did against me. And the grace of God, the resurrection life of Jesus that's given me a new life and is empowering me to walk in newness of life is greater than anything in my past. I don't have to be a prisoner to my past. I don't have to be a slave to my past. I don't need to walk in condemnation or shame or guilt or fear because of my past. I am a new creature in Christ. Can I let go of the past? Can I just say, God, you've done a new work in me? And now I, I may want to learn from the past. But I don't want to keep repeating the same mistakes. I can learn from the lessons of the past, but I'm not defined by the past. I'm defined by who God has made me to be. Now, Paul is an example of somebody who had to forget and forgive things that he did. Sometimes I've found with a lot of people that a lot of people can forgive other people, but they, they have the hardest time forgiving themselves. You know, when we refuse or don't or are unwilling to forgive ourselves, I want to say this kindly, I want to say this gently, but often that can be an expression of pride. I've talked to people before who um, were just struggling. They just could not, they, they could not quit defining themselves by mistakes they had made. And I've asked people the question, I said, well, what if somebody had done that to you? Could you forgive them if they if they if they did it? If somebody come to you and confessed, maybe they hadn't done it to you, but maybe they'd done what you're beating yourself up about. They'd done that in their life. What would you tell them to do? Well, I did. I'd tell them to forgive themselves. I'd tell them to forgive it. You know, forgive themselves, put it in the past, you know, live in the newness of today. And, and I'll say, well, why can't you do that yourself then? If you could tell them to do that, why can't you do that? And I'll say, I don't know. It's just, I know I could tell somebody else to do it, but I just can't do it myself. And, and I've challenged people, not in a condemning way, but just to think, it, is that a form of pride in your life where you think that because it's you, you know, that you're holding yourself to a higher standard and the blood of Jesus, you know, will cleanse somebody else. But you're holding yourself up so high that you're holding yourself up above the blood of Jesus. That the blood of Jesus could forgive somebody else, but not you because you're too good. You, you see what I'm saying? And we just need to understand, hey, we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. I'm going to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. I'm going to submit myself to the cleansing of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness. And if God has forgiven me, who am I to not forgive myself? Do I think I'm more important than God? Do I think, you know, uh, that I'm too good uh, to forgive myself? If, if God can forgive me, then surely I can forgive myself. So Paul had one particular issue to deal with. 
He had to forgive himself for things that he had done. He, he could describe the things he had done. You know, he did that, but he didn't do it to just, you know, I don't know, you know, some people, um, they kind of revel in what they used to do for shock factor, you know, and, and so if we ever do like give a testimony and we are describing some of the things, we want to make sure we're not bragging about what we did or, you know, wanting to impress people with what we did. We, if we do describe some of the things we did that we've been forgiven of, we want to make sure we're doing it to glorify God's mercy and God's grace. That's what Paul was doing. But, but he didn't hold back. I mean, he described in pretty vivid detail, you know, the, the hurtfulness that he was to other people. But he didn't do it uh, for any other reason than to demonstrate how great God's mercy is. All right? But there's another kind of issue that we need to forget. For Paul, it was he had to forget things he had done. But sometimes we also have to forgive and forget what other people have done and move forward. You know, Paul talked about, I'm forgetting what is behind. I'm reaching forward to what is ahead and I am pressing into the upward call. So we have to overcome the things that drag us down, the things that hold us back, and we need to grab hold of what pulls us forward and what pulls us upward, and that's the grace and the resurrecting power of God. There is an Old Testament figure that I think is probably a classic example of somebody who had to forget the past, and that is an Old Testament figure named Joseph. And Joseph was a person, such a contrast, because he had so much favor of God upon his life. And God had a plan and a purpose for his life, but it seemed like anybody who could be ugly to him, anybody who could be hurtful to him, was. You know, his father, Joseph's father, loved him. He was kind of the youngest at that time. There was another one born later. But he was the youngest of the kids, and, and the father favored him, gave him that coat of many colors. And, and his older brothers saw the favoritism that was taking place. And they resented Joseph because of the favor that their father gave. Now, it's one thing when you have a little friction in the family. I was the youngest of four boys, and we got along pretty good. But every once in a while, you know, we'd have some family friction and things like that. But, you know, it's one thing when you have some family friction. It's another thing when your brothers decide they hate you so much they want to sell you as a slave into another country. I mean, that's pretty extreme. And actually, that wasn't their first option. Their first option was, let's murder Joseph. Let's just kill him. But then they said, well, we might we might deal with guilt and we sure would want to feel guilty. So instead of murdering him, let's just sell him into slavery like that's no problem, you know. Um, but they did. They they threw him in a pit and they waited till some people were coming by traders, T-R-A-D-E-R-S. And they sold their their young brother into slavery and that the, the traders took him down to Egypt and sold him as a slave into the house of a guy named Potiphar, who was a government guy. And um, Joseph went from being his father's favorite son to being a slave. Now, let me just ask you this. How much of a rejection complex could that give you? To be sold by your brothers as a slave. I mean, you talk about rejection. You talk about hurt. You talk about woundedness. Um, you talk about hurt feelings, you know, I mean, Joseph could have had the biggest chip on his shoulder, the biggest resentment, you know, hate some people when they have something bad done to them, they hate the world and they just seethe with hatred and animosity. Now, I don't know because I don't know that the Bible gives that much detail. Um, I would guess that Joseph dealt with some bad feelings but you know what? We always see Joseph, we always see him rebounding. We always see him bouncing back. There was always something in Joseph. You remember those old, these came out when I was a little kid, super balls? 
these hard rubber balls. And, you know, the thing was, you know, you'd, you'd throw it down as hard as you could. But no matter the harder you threw it down, guess what? The higher it bounced. And Joseph had that resilience in his life. Not just this situation, but time and again, the more people abused him, uh, beat him down, just the higher up he went. Now, it wasn't always immediate. But what we read in the Bible is that when Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house, um, apparently he, he somehow was able to have a great attitude. Because the Bible says that Potiphar began to favor him. And the Bible says that Joseph served. Isn't that something about people who have a servant's heart? They're just able to find a way to love other people and serve other people. Maybe even when they've been done wrong themselves, they're not, they're not people of revenge and retaliation. And, and the Bible says that Joseph was so faithful and reliable and responsible that Potiphar just kept giving him more and more and more responsibility and that Joseph served him and found favor in his eyes. I I don't know, Pastor Bernie, how Joseph had that attitude because I think most people would have just felt then self-pity, feel sorry for myself. You don't know how mean people have been to me. And, and, And when you carry that kind of wounded you know, thing it, it, it does tend to push other people away. Somehow, somehow, Joseph held on to his belief that God loved him no matter what, and that God had a plan for him no matter what. And somehow, he had this faith that he was not going to allow what somebody else did against him to... Uh, supersede what God was doing for him. So he gets knocked down to being a slave. But you know what? The next thing that happens, Joseph rises and now he's running Potiphar's household. He's the manager. He's still a slave, but he's continued to have promotion and favor and he's running Potiphar's house. Now, let me just tell you this. The devil's not always content just to take one shot at you, okay? Because Joseph was about to face another attack. And and he had so much favor on his life that Potiphar's wife was attracted to him, made an indecent proposal to him. But you know what? Joseph did the right thing. He said, that would not be right. I'm not going to sin against my God. So Joseph did the right thing. But you know what? She got offended. She got mad. So she made an accusation against him that gets him thrown in prison. You know, I mean, he just kept getting these horrible things happen to him. But he goes to prison. And the next thing you know, in prison, now now he could really be angry at the world. He could even be angry at God. God, I tried to do the right thing, and and look what it got me. Thanks a lot, God. You know, I, I'd be better off if I'd just gone ahead and compromised my integrity and sinned. You know, I wouldn't be sitting here in prison. You know, the devil will sometimes offer you what looks like a way of promotion. Listen, it's not a way of promotion. It may look right, but it's going to end in death. Joseph took the hit on the front end by standing up for righteousness. And he went to prison because he did the right thing. That's not, how many of you know, that's not right. That's not justice, but life is not always fair. Satan sure does not play fair sometimes. So he goes to prison, but you know what? The next thing you know, he's running the prison. He starts picking up, you know, he just starts being responsible helping other inmates. He goes to the warden of the prison probably and says, hey, do you need any help? Is there anything I can do for you? Any way I can serve you? And so the warden of the prison starts giving Joseph's responsibility. And the next thing you know, the Bible says that Joseph was so faithful that the the warden of the prison put him in charge of the whole prison. You know, the lesson of Joseph is this. You can't keep a good man down. 
seriously, there, there was resurrection working in Joseph. Even though Jesus' resurrection hadn't even happened, God's nature is a resurrecting nature. God's nature lifts people up. And so now Joseph is running the whole prison. You know the story, two of Pharaoh's household workers, the butler and the baker, get thrown into that prison. They each have a dream. Joseph, by the Spirit of God, interprets their dreams. One of them gets executed. One of them gets set free. And the one who got set free and got put back into his position in Pharaoh's household, Joseph makes a real simple request. He says, hey, when you get back in front of Pharaoh, would you mention me to him? You know, how, have you ever wanted somebody to put in a good word for you? You know, thinking it might help you. And you know what that guy said? He said, Joseph, absolutely. Man, as soon as I get back up with Pharaoh, I'm going to tell him all about you. Well, guess what? He didn't. Two whole years went by. Now, let me just give you, let's say you get, you know, tossed into the county jail or something and you call me and I say, oh, you know what? I'll come bail you out. I'll be there in two minutes. And I don't show up in two minutes. Matter of fact, I don't show up in two hours. I don't show up in two days. I don't show up in two weeks or two months. I show up and bail you out two years later. You going to be happy with me? All right. Joseph sat in that prison for two years because the guy who said, yeah, Joseph, I'll put in a good word for you. Totally forgot Joseph until Pharaoh has a dream. And when Pharaoh has a dream, the guy says, oh, there's a Hebrew down in the prison that God used him to interpret my dream. And it happened exactly. And Pharaoh says, get that guy. And so they come and get Joseph and he comes up. And now he, he's standing in front of Pharaoh, who is the king of the greatest empire of the world in that day. And Joseph interprets the dream. And Pharaoh says, man, there's nobody in my kingdom with this much wisdom. He said, how would you like to be my vice presidential candidate? And he literally makes Joseph the vice president or we might call it prime minister. But Joseph becomes second in power to Pharaoh. Later, he had opportunity because later his brothers come begging for food and Joseph has the right, you know, he had the right to have them executed, but he didn't. He blessed his brothers. He had the right to go after Potiphar's wife. There's no indication that he did. But here's what I want to show you about Joseph. I want you to look in, in your Bible in Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 41. It says, this is after Joseph had served as prime minister, um, after he had married and had children. It says, Joseph named his older son Manasseh. Everybody say Manasseh. That word Manasseh means to forget. He named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Isn't that amazing? He named his firstborn son to forget. Can you imagine naming one of your kids to forget? Every time you call him for dinner, hey, forget, it's time to eat. Forget, don't, don't forget to clean up your room. Hey, forget. He named his kid to forget because the ability to forget the past was the great key for Joseph being able to move forward in his life. He named his first son to forget. In verse 52, it says Joseph named his second son Ephraim which means to be fruitful, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Joseph is, a, is an individual in the Bible who, like Paul, had to forget what was behind in order to reach forward to what was ahead. And like Paul, for Joseph to forget 
did not mean amnesia. When his brothers showed up looking for bread and grain, he intellectually remembered who they were. And you can bet for sure he remembered what they had done to him. But Joseph forgot in the sense that he did not let the past dictate him. He did not let the past govern him. He did not let the past poison him. He didn't live his present stewing in the poison and the toxin of bitterness and unforgiveness. Joseph, and this is why he named his first son, to forget, he chose to live each new day as a gift from God. He chose not to wallow in self-pity and unforgiveness and bitterness from the past. Joseph was able to put the past behind him because he had a sense of God's plan for his future. And when you know and understand that God has wonderful things, glorious things for your future, it is much easier to let the past be behind you. Intellectually, you remember it, but emotionally and spiritually, you are not bound to it. Now, those feelings may, you know, yap at you for a while. Years ago, I had a situation happen where somebody did something. It wasn't the most major thing in the world, but it was something that hurt me. And... Um, a guy that had been a friend and, and you just, you know, he did something that was wrong and uh, it affected me. And for days, I would wake up at three in the morning with this knot in my stomach and just, you know, why, you know, you know, why did this person do that? And I, I felt hurt and that type of thing. But I caught myself and I said, you know what? I don't understand why this person did that. They must have been under pressure. You remember when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, they must have been under pressure. You know, that that's not the best them that they could be. And um, I said, so, Lord, here's the thing. What they did was not right. See, forgiveness is not putting a stamp of approval on what somebody did. Forgiveness is not saying that what the person did was right. Forgiveness is saying, I've been hurt by what they did, but I'm not going to live in perpetual hurt because of what they did. God's plan for my today and God's plan for my tomorrow is more important than the pain that that person caused me. So I'm going to choose to let that pain be in the past. I'm going to let that be history. And, and, and so... What I did was when I would wake up at three in the morning with that hurt feeling and that just upset feeling, I, I would just lay there and I'd say, God, you know, I know what they did wasn't right, but I choose to forgive that person. I choose to release. The word forgive means to release. I choose to forgive that person. And you know what? The hurt feelings didn't go away immediately. But what I, what happened every time those hurt feelings would rise up, I'd say, yeah, feelings, I know you're hurt, but, you know, you're not the Lord of my life. Jesus is the Lord of my life, and my decisions are more important than my feelings. So I choose to feed my decision, and my decision is I forgive that person. I release that person. And you know what happened over a period of days? I, the feelings would come back, but what would happen is every time the feelings would come, I didn't live in denial. I didn't pretend that the feelings weren't there. As a matter of fact, sometimes I'd just talk to my feelings, and I'd say, yeah, feelings, I know you're hurt, but you're going to get over it. And I've, I have forgiven that person. And, and so every time I did that, I was feeding my decisions and I was starving my feelings. So my decision got stronger and stronger and the feelings got weaker and weaker. And you know what eventually happened within, you know, a relatively reasonably short period of time? My feelings changed. Now, feelings are the last part of us usually to come along. We have to have faith, the faith is based on fact, and eventually the feelings come in line. But I had to make a decision to forgive, 
And when I made the decision to forgive and kept reinforcing and feeding the decision, eventually I started saying, God, you know, for them to do that, they must have been really hurt. They must have been really disoriented, you know, by confusion or whatever. I know that's not the best them that they can be. God, and I really started wanting to see God bless them and help them and strengthen them. And it wasn't a person I saw all the time, but I thought, man, if I get to see this, I just, I just want to give him a big hug and love him and, you know, because the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart. But for us to walk in new life, we have to let old stuff go. We have to do what Paul said. We have to forget what is behind. And we have to reach forward to what is ahead. I want you to know what's ahead of us is ultimate resurrection. Someday in the future, when Jesus returns, we're going to get totally resurrected, glorified bodies. I don't know exactly what that's going to be like, but it's going to be pretty cool. Because when Jesus had his glorified body, it looks like he, I don't know if he walked through walls or, but it looks, and, and, you know, he ascended. I, to me, I like to think Jesus flew. Yeah, I, I don't know, but he, they watched him go up. And, um, so, and, but he was able to eat. We're going to get new glorified bodies in the future that are not subject to sickness or death or weakness or anything like that. But in the meantime, we have a little bit, a little bit of resurrection while we're waiting the resurrection and we are called to walk in newness of life. We are to have a spiritual and moral resurrection lifting us out from among the dead. Even while we're still in our bodies, we have been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. So that's why we get to do what Paul did. We get to forget what's behind and we get to reach for what's ahead. And we're pressing toward the upward call. We have to do what Paul did. We have to forget what's behind. Forgetting is not amnesia. Okay? And if you think forgetting means that you're not going to be able to intellectually recall the past, that's probably an unrealistic expectation. But if we understand forgetting in the biblical sense, that it means that we're able to live under a greater influence than the past. That we don't have to live in the pain of the past, in the poison, the toxin of the past. We don't have to let the past define us or govern us. We are under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And it sets us free from the law of sin and death. Amen. Brother Joseph, can we have some music? Uh, let's go ahead and stand up. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.